This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CDUSA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. During the guide season, the workday begins and we all grab our proverbial hard hats and our lunch pails, oars and coolers in this case, and head off to the job site. We're bound to see a co-worker or two, exchange pleasantries, and maybe even offer a little advice or assistance to the task at hand. And then we all clock out and head home. Rarely, do any of us have a chance to BS at the water cooler and really learn about one another? But in preparation for this discussion with today's guest, I've done some digging and discovered that there's much more under the flat brimmed ball cap than just the flowing locks. 
Jason Brennanstuhl, welcome to the February Room. Thanks for having me, Justin. Good to, good to chat, man. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks for doing this again. Uh, we had uh, audio failures um, the first time around, so uh, you know may, maybe it's for the best. Maybe maybe we'll knock it out of the park this time. So there, there you go. That's the attitude. Well, you've done a lot of different stuff, man. Um, you know, you obviously guide around here on all the major rivers. Uh, you've done multi-day trips on the South Fork of the Flathead. You've worked as a backcountry uh, rock and ice climbing guide in Maine and New Hampshire. Um, spent several seasons as a backcountry wilderness ranger in the River of No Return wilderness. Uh, so I'm I'm imagining that uh, throughout your all of your travails, you found a story or two you could share with us. Plenty of stories, man. Plenty of stories. Um, yeah. And good review on the history there. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I've, I've been working in the outdoors, man, for well over 20 years at this point. Um, and as you stated, worked in the Northeast, um, up there in the White Mountains and in the Mount Washington Valley. Uh, I worked almost seven, right around seven seasons with the U.S. Forest Service in Idaho, as you said, in the Frank Church Wilderness River, No Return. Um, and I've been guiding around here now for 13 years, going on 13 years, uh, rowing a boat. And um, I've been fortunate. I consider myself fortunate, uh, kind of lucky as well. But, you know, as many of us know in this field, what we do um, it's a lot of it's been by choice as well. Um, you got to make a conscious decision to kind of live out this lifestyle. So, um, yeah, as for stories, like you said, South Fork of the Flathead, I've, I've guided that uh, extensively in the past, still on the Smith River to this day, do about five to six trips a season out there for Joe Sowerby and Montana Fly Fishing Connection. And honestly, man, I've guided every river in Western Montana, even down to the Southwest side of the state is, as far away as the Madison, the Big Hole, Beaverhead, the Jefferson, um, obviously our three rivers here in the valley. The, we're lucky to have those 300 miles of river in the Missoula Valley as well. Uh, even push the oars on Rock Creek, which is more of a young man's game these days. And um, yeah, kind of kind of done it all. Um, in terms of good stories, I don't know, salt or fresh. What, what do we what do we want? Well, here? Let's go. Let, man, let's go. Salt. You, you told me a really great story about um, a permit trip uh, the first time we talked. And uh, and do you remember that one? Can you share that one with us? I, I can. Yeah. About, I, uh, yeah. The boat, yeah. the boat debacle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this was and this is a shout out to my buddy, Jesse Colton, too, down in uh, Ishkalak, Mexico. And uh, this was a few years back now. And. Um, you know, if anybody has a chance to go down there and fish with, with that lodge at X flats, um, highly recommended, man, the permit fisheries insane. It, it backs up to Chetham all Bay, which is, you know, just North of Ambergris key, uh, and Belize, you can pretty much see the, the international boundary there. And then, you know, you've got flats for as, as far as the eye can see the North side and the South side, you know, heading all the way up toward the little town of Mahawal, which is this nice, quiet, little, little port town, uh, north of Ishkalak. So, you know, you're way down on the Southern Yucatan, but, um, the permit fishery there is, is, is pretty bonkers. Um, as well as, you know, obviously other, 
other saltwater fare that you're looking for. But if you're going there, you're going for the permit. So you, you kind of have to have this mentality. I always tell people when you're on the bow for permit, you kind of have to embrace the suck, as they say, and uh, know that that's what you're committed to doing. And sometimes things just happen, you know, and, and you, you can make it work. And uh, this is one of those days. Um, I was with one of his great guides, Evaristo. Um, this guy, fairly legendary down there. He's been guiding down there for a couple decades. And, um, you know, coming from the guide angle, and I know Jesse, there was intent putting me on Evaristo's boat, and I'm not knocking Evaristo here, so I don't want anybody to take it the wrong way. You know, this is, he's a guide's guide. Um, what I mean by that, when you walk out to the dock and meet him in the morning, He's the one still that was still running a two-stroke motor. He had a wooden piece of plywood on the floor of the panga that rattled on, on when you were on step. He had no rod holders. He, he laid a wet towel over the rods so they wouldn't fly out of the boat. And when you look at that, you know, that could some clients, you know, you're paying good money on these trips, things like that. And you'd look at that and be like, ah, you know, I don't know if this guy's going to be for me. And, and as a trout guide, we get eyed up and down too. And, and I understand, you know, clients have bad experiences and they kind of rely on those bad experiences with those, those quote unquote guides they've had in the past. And um, so I could understand walking up to Evaristo's boat where he could maybe mislead some people. But this guy, uh, he's just, he's an absolute master at what he does. And if you like to fish, this is the guy you want to be on the bow for. And anyway, heavy wind, uh, 30 plus mile per hour coming inshore. And we went into the bay first, had good shots throughout the day. And on his boat, you know, you got to learn how to surf kind of. It's, it's a fairly small bow on the front and, um, you know, good wooden platform on the back, wooden push pole. He's, he had jeans on, you know, and his sun shirt and, uh, just your atypical what you would envision from a, a guide. But anyway, uh, had our shots. Tough day here and there with the conditions. Plenty of follows. And I guess it was about the last hour and a half of the day. And um, we just kind of looked at each other and like, hey, you know, the wind's kind of settled down. Why don't we get out of the bay and, and head out to the, the reef side and make our way kind of north toward the lodge. But kind of, you know, throw the Hail Mary pass in that last hour and a half and kind of a typical day like that. And uh, anyway, we're coming out of the channel at Chetamal Bay and, you know, we're looking left at 11 o'clock and, and starting to turn the boat north and he's not on step. He's on the mo motor, but he's not moving too fast. And we're, you know, I'm standing up on the bow looking around and sure enough, around 11 o'clock off the bow, about, I don't know, 60 feet or so, 70 feet, see a school. Uh, good size reef permit, permit that are coming in off the ocean side, not on the bay side. So, you know, pretty, pretty stout fish. And uh, I look out there and in classic saltwater fashion, you know, I feel like my eyes are pretty good. I've done it quite a bit now and I can spot fish pretty well. But I, I looked out and I'm like, Evaristo, you know, there's there's a half dozen, 11 o'clock, 60 feet. And I'll never forget. He, he He's like with the same amount of passion as me and excitement. He, he goes, Amigo, there's 13. And I'm like, oh, geez. You know, sure enough, he, he sees a lot more than I do. And uh, we hop off the boat and try to get him on foot, which is totally fine. So I'm about chest deep. And we were able to get in closer on him, about 30, 40 feet. 
couple halls, throw it out in front of the school, and they weren't really tailing. They were kind of on the cruise. They weren't moving fast, and they weren't really moving slow, just kind of on that cruising pace. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, there were about four or five within sight of me, and you could see their dorsal fins out of the water just kind of cruising along. And it felt like a darn eternity, man. But one just turned left, started creating a wake toward my fly. I'm slowly stripping this cat crab pattern back. And uh, all of a sudden, line goes tight. And, you know, of course, I know it's on, but he's yelling, it's on, amigo, it's on. And, you know, at that point, you're watching your backing move through the guides of your rod, and you're just like, I hope this knot, you know, I hope my, my knot holds. <laughs> There's no knot in the backing or in the line. You know, all the thoughts are going through your head of not wanting to screw this thing up. And um, so fought it on foot for a little bit. He's out there with me. We're both pretty stoked on what's going on. Well, this thing started to rip all the way out to the reef. So, you know, you're talking about 150, 200 yards off the beach. So we had to get back on the boat, motor out and chase it. We get it back inside again. And we tether the boat on the push pole. And I'm fighting this thing on foot and it's getting harassed by eagle rays and other permit are following it around because they think it's on the feed probably. And he's with me. Next thing I know, I look back, man, his boat's drifting out to the reef. And uh, <laughs> I'm fighting this permit still and he's chasing this thing down in his bare feet, you know, and uh, gets the boat, luckily, gets back toward me. I look off in the distance as push pole is still planted out in the flat. We get this permit to hand, celebrations all around. We got about 20 minutes before we're back in the lodge. And uh, I look at him, I'm like, Evaristo, you know, what about your push pole? You know, we get a couple gripping grins. He goes, I go, what about your push pole? He's like, it's okay, amigo, I have 10 more at home, you know, because he hand carves these wooden poles. And we <laughs> ditched the... <laughs> We just ditch the pole, get on the boat. You know, at that point, we're both exhausted from the, the conditions and head back. And, you know, it's it's one of those. And, and he looks at me and he goes, amigo, he said some number in the triple digits. I can't even remember the exact number now. And he goes, amigo, number or whatever. And I look at him. I'm like, yeah, that's I was like, what does that mean? You know, and he goes, that's my hundredth and eightieth or something crazy number permit that I've landed with client a client. It was maybe even more than that. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, wow, man. You know, and what you realize is, like, that's one fish. No matter how big or how small, you count. Every, that's the one fish in the fly fishing world that I feel like every guy counts. Both guides and, and the angler. You know, for me as a guide in freshwater on trout, I know when I'm having a good day and I know when I'm having a tougher day. But man, when it comes to permit, you count every single one. But I'll tell you this, my girlfriend, Kim Yarrow, was there with me. She stayed back that day because of the windy conditions. And this is one of those classic examples. You pull back into the lodge and of course I'm all smiles. And she just looked at me. She's like, you've got to be kidding me. And I'm like, no, nope, made it happen today. And, and uh, showed her the photo. And it's just one of those days, you know, generally I'm fair weather, but when it comes to that game, you just got to go out there and give it a shot. So success was had, man. It was, uh, 
really fun down the flats. I can't say enough about that fishery in that area of the world, man. It's it's beautiful, and the guides are fantastic. Well, that's that's awesome, man. Um, I wonder, you know, how often do those those guides lose a push pole? I wonder if that's like us and anchors, <laughs> right? Exactly. No, I was thinking the same thing, right? Where you, you know, and we've all been there, where you're like, oh, now you, you know, you you feel the stern of your boat just kind of do that stall especially on a raft where it just kind of sinks into the water, you know, not necessarily on a skiff or a hard boat or a, a you know, a, a McKinsey style drift, but you, you feel it on the raft and you're like, Oh man, I am so I'm either cutting rope or I'm going to work real hard to row 180 degrees around this thing and try to figure out how to, you know, get it out of its wedge. But I, I know I never, I never asked him that, but I'm assuming with the fact that he had a pile of them back at his house in Iskalak, I'm sure he loses them more than we think. Yeah. I'm, I'm famous for just leaving it at the takeout. <laughs> <laughs> Very common mistake. I found That's one my, my move. <laughs> I, 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 it might've been yours. I don't know. Carnop. I found one of my better anchors. I think it was at Gates or Scotty one year. So that might have been yours, man. I think I still have it. It could have been, man. Now it's the first thing I put in my truck. It just it's it's become just a practice, you know. Otherwise, it's I'm so uh, there's a good chance I'm gonna leave it. Well, well, you know, you talked about in the intro about putting our heart proverbial hard hats on and all that, you know. And I, it's funny after all these years. I know it, it's it's one of the first things that goes in my truck as well, and. It's just, you know, you kind of, as a guide, it, no matter what walk you're in, whether that's salt, fresh, whatever, man, steelhead on those dark, rainy mornings, you have your systems in place, you know, and uh, you don't stray too far from them. That's for sure. Yeah, that's the key. That's the key, man. You just, you exactly, you got to stick to the system and uh, undoubtedly, clients you know bless their hearts are like hey let me help you with that let me help you with yeah. that and they kind of take it personally when you're like no i'm sorry man i just i gotta do it all myself otherwise the system falls apart it just happens <laughs> like, every time you, you know i always it's you always get that question i i agree man with some of these clients and, and i've got a lot of my long-termers that i kind of every now and again i'll let them crank the winch you know to kind of feel important but then you know it's the strap it, yeah <laughs> Yeah, right. It takes a load off me a little bit there too. But it, it, the the question and the put in and the takeout, it's always what can I do to help? And, and really, man, my blunt kind of kind of response, and there's not a whole lot of heart behind it. I'm just kind of like, you know, man, the best thing you can do is just kind of stay out of the way and do nothing for me. That would be great. Just break your rods down, man. That's all you got to do. Yeah, here, just read this book. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Read this uh, magazine article for a minute. Rush up. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, we're about to jump into guide season here. Um, you've been a guide around this area for quite a while. Can you uh, give me a little background on how you got started here um, and, uh, and what your program is, how many days you run, um, and just kind of your you're seen in Missoula. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, man, I, um, so I moved into Missoula in 2003, 04, kind of that time frame, And as you said, worked for the forest service. I was going to grad school here at university of Montana. 
I'm one of those overqualified guides with a master's degree in environmental studies here at the university, kind of a policy-based approach. Um, took some classes at the law school and then the forestry school and, and was working for the Forest Service, you know, spring through fall at the time. And, you know, I, I was fortunate, man, when I was there, I had an eight on six off schedule and I was always fishing, you know, I mean, that, you know, I came from the Northeast. I grew up in Virginia, grew up bass fishing as a kid, um, everything from bluegill, you know, brim and, 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 and bass and catfish and all that kind of stuff. I was a live bait chucker as a kid and Zebcos and, you know, ugly sticks, the whole deal. And uh, kind of, you know, of course, graduated into the fly fishing game when I moved up to New England um, through a friend of mine and, and learned it in early age too, but didn't really key in on it until I moved up there more and then came out here, you know, to the land of bigger rivers and bigger mountains. And um, with the intent of getting my degree and maybe even pursuing law school at the time and was working for the forest service, like I said, and those six days off, man, I, I was fortunate. I worked eight tens out in the wilderness and my own, only communication with the outside world for eight days was a dispatch radio to central Idaho dispatch twice a day to let them know where I was. And then on those six days off, man, I would just go fish new water, you know? And one year I fished Idaho, Oregon, Washington state, Utah, Montana and Wyoming all in one season that year and just kind of lived out of my vehicle and um, subletted my place in Missoula, worked on the oars uh, through good friends here in town, became a better rower um, and just went out and improved my game and knowledge as much as I could. And unfortunately, man fell, uh, had a pretty good fall with the Forest Service, had a pretty bad knee injury and um, thought I fractured my kneecap. Actually, it was out in the middle of nowhere. And that was kind of in the end of the road for me in terms of hauling weight on my back and working in those types of elements. And um, was very fortunate, you know, to already be uh, connected around here with guys in the game, both guides and outfitters, obviously through some guys in the shops as well. And my check, my first check float, and this is a shout out to kind of a local legend was Jay Dixon, who we both know, and he's still in the game 20 plus years later. And he gave me a chance and put a good word in for me. And I just started gradually getting my days, you know, more shout outs too to guys like Lance Gleason, um, Joe Sowerby, of course, at Montana Fly Fishing Connection, giving me a chance in the South Fork and on the Smith. And um, earned my stripes that way. Ran gear for Joe a whole season on the Smith before I even guided it. And, uh, you know, those, those early days, man, and I, I think that's something that's been kind of lost here. And you know the drill. It was you check float and you'd cross your fingers and, and hope that you would get 70 to 80 days if you were lucky your first season, you know. And that's not as much the case anymore. I kind of feel like, the guys of that generation that I came in with of guides locally, it's kind of, we were kind of the last of that, that kind of mix where, you know, you'd go to an outfitter and be like, yeah, do you mind signing my license? And they'd be like, yeah, I mean, I'll sign it. You're good with that guy. That's fine. But you're going to be lucky if you get 15 to 20 days from me. And it was very honest and it was very blunt 
and it was an earn your stripes kind of environment. And, um, I'm very appreciative that I came through it that way. So I've gone from that to, you know, I'm working anywhere between 150 to 160 days a year on the water, man. Um, as we were just talking before this, I, I start right around this time of year. I start this coming Monday is my first day of the season. And I'll go till at the latest around the first week of November. But I've kind of cut back on that. Um, and we'll probably talk about that here in a minute. I've just kind of, kind of found other ventures. Um, but kind of the name of the game for me around here, you know, we've all seen it um, with places like Missoula and other areas around Montana. You know, pressure is increased on the on the fisheries around here, both from recreational anglers, increase in commercial use as well in spots. We both know there's a lot of stretches that are more popular than others, um, where you see a little bit more of that pressure and density. And I guess what I've done through the years by building that kind of cadre of of repeat clients and and now been guiding some people on my list for over 10 years um, since I started even is trying to find those places to hide as much as possible. You and I can relate to that. I know you love to be on that lower Clark Fork fishery as do I, the lower Bitterroot places like that. I kind of, as the years have gone on, I've, I've moved more into those lower areas and kind of reduced my, interactions with crowds and you know i think that comes down to kind of how you you mold and shape your clients and and i don't mean that to sound arrogant it's just when you have people through the years they've had really good days with you as a guy and they've had really tough days where they've had to work hard for it and you know if they're still coming back to you and they're loyal then they're sold on the program anyway and you don't really have to prove anything to them at that point and I'm very fortunate that a lot of the clients I fish with every year that come still come back to me are bought into the idea of, hey, you know what? We'd rather go fish the way we want to fish, either by pushing it dry, limiting dry dropper fishing, definitely not putting an indicator on around here in Missoula uh, unless absolutely necessary when it's off color and high water, like in early June sometimes. But once that kind of fades away, inspiring these clients to find that solitude um use them as teachable moments as well with watersheds and and really target fish we want to target the way we want to target it and you know it's cliche but we talk about as anglers how you graduate from like when you first start you just want to catch a fish then you want to catch more then you want to catch bigger and you know i think the ideal guide graduates to the point where they don't even care about catching trout for themselves. They're just as happy watching others and getting enjoyment out of teaching people and really pushing your clients to reach that level of like, they don't really care how many they're getting. They're getting them the way they want and they're learning some stuff along the way. And whether that's improving a reach cast line management on the water, um, just working on their hook set, specifically their dry fly eats, Things like that, and maybe pushing them onto streamers, and I—that's I, kind of how I'm running my program these days. And uh, fortunately, a lot of those clients are now like friends more than clients, and I'm really grateful for that. And um, you know, I—I I worked hard to get where I'm at with it, and uh, I don't take any of that for granted. 
I'm grateful for those clients. I'm grateful for the vibe we have here and the guiding community. And, um, you know, I try to mentor and teach some of the younger guys as much as I can, if they're receptive to kind of steering toward that direction as well. You know, it's more than fishing sometimes, man. You know, it's, it's relationships. You know, we've seen changes on the water here. My clients have been coming here a long time. They've seen changes in the community, pressure on the fishery. And using those moments to educate, teach people about continuing drought cycles and, you know, what we're dealing with with water here and all of that. And uh, sometimes, man, it's it's more than just how many you get to the boat. It's, you know, clients remember a lot of those other days just as much as anything else. So, Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, your programs, you know, sounds like it's very instructional. That's what I've come to understand about you and, uh, you know, just focus on on having a good time and, you know, weaving in maybe some lessons um, relative to, to conservation, habitat work, access issues that are uh, that are affecting all of us here. So um, good on you for all that. Oh, thanks, man. You know, and, and not to sound long winded on it too, Justin, to go on and on, but I think one of the, one of the, some of the best compliments I can get from, from clients, specifically newer clients is the, the two things I want to hear at the ramp at the end of the day are, Hey, do you have, what's your number? I'd love to fish with you again. And I've learned more from you than I've learned from any other guide. And, you know, we've been dealing with some issues here in the off season, particularly did the great episode on stream access. He interviewed me on there too. And it's really gratifying to have clients from all over the country call you or email you and say, hey, I love Missoula. I've been fishing with you there a long time. What can I do to help? And man, if you got clients in your list that are like that, I mean, to me, I feel like that's hitting a home run. I mean, those are the allies we want um, in our list of clients, man. You know, we want those people that care about these resources out here as much as we do. Because I also have clients that give to local and state organizations, TU, Clark Fork Coalition, you know, these are out-of-state clients that are throwing money into Montana to preserve what we have here. And uh, I think I think as guides, we're the gatekeepers, and we really need to take advantage of those opportunities when you have the right people on the boat. So, Yeah, definitely, man. Um, you know, and like focusing on fish counts and how many fish hit the net is – those days are, are that so past in my mind. Um, and that's not a mentality that we want to, uh, that we want to display as we're out there guiding. And that's not something that we want our clients to pick up on like that, you know, that competitive, um, scene of, wow, how can we get 30 fish to the net today is that's dead in the water in my mind. I, I agree 100%. It kind of needs to end as the pressure on these fisheries increases, as we're dealing with more hot summers, low water, high water temps. You know, it, it infuriates me when I see guys fishing deep bobber rigs in early August and late July around Missoula, where I'm like, man, you know, give it a rest. It, it, the water's hitting 70 degrees by noon, one o'clock. What are you doing? And you know, there's just no place for that ego in it anymore. And, um, and that's just my opinion. You know, I, I just don't really see the point in it. Um, at, at some point we got to get past the bean counting 
and really emphasize some of those other things that are involved in this lifestyle and in this sport. And, uh, you know, there's, there's bigger fish to fry. And at the end of the day, no pun intended there, but you know, at the end of the day, 30 to 40 fish to the net. I mean, like really what I don't understand at this point, I don't understand the fulfillment in that mentality. Um, it, it's every client I've ever had will tell you that they remember the days that they've had to work hard and caught the biggest trout they've ever caught possibly on that day or biggest species of trout more than they're going to remember the 40 fish day, for example, on the Blackfoot in late July when you're catching, you know, six inch fish all day. It's, it's kind of like those days and there's a way to mold those clients out of that mentality. Um, and it really lies with the guide to, to kind of teach that. So, yeah, hundred percent agreed, man. Um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, about the physical toll? Like you mentioned that you had an injury, um, while on the job with the forest service, uh, you're in your late forties. I'm in my late forties. Um, what do you do to prep for a guide season of a hundred to uh, or 150 to 160 days? You're still doing a ton of days. I don't, I can't do that. Um, <laughs> my body would break down. So what do, you, what do you do? What do you do to keep your body? And, you know, um, also, um, you know, what do you think gear wise helps you? Like, you know, you've got one of those little low pro skiff adipose. Um, anyway, just, give me kind of a synopsis of everything that you do to keep your body from breaking down under such a crunch of that many guide days. And when you're pushing 50, you know, man, I, w I wish I could give some really sage advice. Part of it, I feel like has been luck um, for me. Um, you know, I was a collegiate athlete too. I played college soccer at the division two level, played sports my whole life. Uh, um, fitness was always a large part of my life. It's kind of funny now. It's like, if you told me to run, I'd be like, no way, dude, I'm not going to do that. You know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, well, and, and here's some props to Adipose and I'm not sales pitching them at, at all here. Justin, um, Weyenberg, the, 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 the GM over there, he's great, man. I mean, they're a great crew and the knock on that boat for a long time was that it was heavy. And that's true. They're a heavier, heavier haul, even though they've lightened that load quite a bit through the years. But that boat, their boats are designed to draft at a very shallow level. So it's a heavier boat on land, but it rows incredibly light. Um, and it allows you to get into really shallow, different water, kind of sneakier water. Um, I can't say enough about that. Um, that being said, you know, Justin, as you know, like I just said, with the lower watershed stuff, you know, I limit my, my big water days, i.e. on the Blackfoot where it requires a lot of bouldery rowing, you know, we still got guys around here, John Herzer, man, he's, you know, John's in his upper, he's in his fifties and he's his, one of his favorite stretches is still rowing roundup, even at low water, you know, and. For me, I just try to limit those types of sections as water levels get lower throughout the year. Um, and, you know, I try to front load my days in the spring through the early part of the summer until about the third week of July. And what I've been doing the last few years is I just don't guide at the end of July through early August. I take about two weeks 
roughly where I just don't row and give my body a break. It's during the dog days. There's a win-win there. We've got warmer water. The hatch cycles have waned. The fishing, quite frankly, isn't that great. Honestly, I feel like we should just be pushing half-day marketing to clients at that point, early start, early off. Um, but I take that time off to kind of get a refresher and then hit the round, ground running again, kind of in that mid to late August as the, the days get shorter, evenings get a little cooler, water temps start coming down, bugs start coming back, and then I'll go all the way through October. In terms of um, just taking care of my body physically, you know, I'm not, I don't drink a ton, man. I, I, I've never, you know, I, I, I don't consume a ton of alcohol. I don't smoke. Um, I'm fortunate to have a good lady in my life. We eat well. And in the past, man, pre-COVID, as you know, I was spending my time overseas as a dive instructor over in Indonesia, and that was keeping me fit as well. But the big thing I do, man, is just kind of some resistance-based training, like hit training, like high intensity, kind of using your body weight um, against you. So using like straps for kind of like modified pull-ups, push-ups, things like that. And then obviously, man, the foam roller is the best friend during the season. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just doing certain things to kind of open up the chest, you know, because when we're rowing every day for long periods of time, I'll do 20 plus days in a row sometimes, even though those days are starting to taper off too. And naturally, you're just kind of hunched over. Your chest is closed up. Your posture is getting hit. And that's kind of when injuries happen. I wish I could say I'm better about stretching than I should be. But I try my darndest to, to stay limber and flexible. And um, just employing all these different things, man. I've, I've got this pad that I lay on in the evenings. It's similar to acupuncture, actually. So it's got little, like prongs on it that kind of jab you and loosen you up a little bit so and then massages for me work the best man like a deep tissue massage maybe twice a month during the season if I can it helps a ton to just get those get get loosened up and, and kind of readjust the hips and you know it helps and I think as we get older you know I see a lot of the guys in their 30s they're not there yet, but it's going to start creeping on them, man. And, and once you start start feeling those small ailments, you know, I've been very lucky, man. I've had a lower back situation maybe twice in over 12 years of guiding where I've literally, you know, I've had to take a couple days off. I've, I've been knock on wood, man, no shoulder issues, nothing like that. So I think also when you become a better rower and you spend that much time on the water, you learn how to use water to your advantage when you're on the oars and, you know, and, and picking the right water at the right time. You know, you see a lot of guys early season when the river's getting big, river's starting to cook, you know, they're fishing those hard banks really hard, those faster outside banks and they're hold, trying to hold their boat there. And, you know, guys, at the end of the day, like if you can't get the fish to eat in that water, move into the inside shelves, there's fish there too. And, just start thinking a little bit differently about the wear and tear on the body and preparing for that long season. And at the end of the day, two things, man, no trout is worth dying for or putting yourself in a risky situation in the boat. And it's really not worth 
banging yourself up and, and hurting yourself and possibly putting a dent in the days that you're going to work in the future of the season. So just kind of rowing smarter, man. You know, the whole work smarter, not harder mentality. Um, I've just learned that through the years, especially the last six or seven. Yeah, there you go. That's it. You know, work, work smarter, not harder. That's, that's the key. And drink water, fellas. Stay hydrated out there, man. I, it's hard to do, but I always have a bottle sitting right next to my foot when I'm rowing, man. I'm, I, whenever I'm changing flies or dealing with a tangle or rowing to the next spot that I want to fish with clients, I'm, I'm drinking water when I can. So, Well, you're doing um, some saltwater hosting coming up that, uh, that you mentioned the other day. Um, can you tell me about those programs, where you're going? Um, and, uh, yeah, just kind of dive into that. Sounds like some really, some really cool destinations. Yeah. You know, I got, I got lucky. I, um, so what I've been doing, it kind of started this past winter and I've got some trips lined up this winter. If anybody's interested, they can get in touch with me. I know you'll post my information. Um, yeah, I've been going to Cuba, uh, with Avalon and kind of taking that host route, um, as a guide, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a, an outfitter and maybe some people would frown on a guy doing that but it, like I said at the end of the day it's the the client relationship especially if especially if I'm the one that's been fishing them for as long as I have that relationship is there and uh, just got a really good cadre of, of clients of mixed ages um, and ability and so I'll be in Cuba early November early December and then and then late December as well. I'm doing that through Avalon. Um, can't say enough about that fishery and the program. You know, everything's got its flaws. Mistakes have been made, obviously, but for a company that's been out there for 20 years, working in that environment, um, politically, for example, in Cuba, and the logistical involvement of a trip like that, um, I cannot say enough about how well they run that operation. Um, so what it is for me, I, I've been really focusing on the Hardines, uh, Hardine de la Reina region, which is the Garden of the Gods region there. It's kind of on that south end. Um, so you fly into the town of Camagüey, and then it's about a four-hour uh, ride out to Jacaro uh, uh, Port. And you get on a liveaboard, and you cruise about 30, 40 miles offshore out to the outer archipelago and six and a half days of fly fishing, man, and uh, shots on anything and everything you could imagine. Permit, bonefish, tarp, juvenile tarpon in the mangroves, occasional snook, jacks, barracuda, um, kind of get it all. And, and what I've realized with that area, what I really enjoy about it, not only the solitude of it all, it's about 60 plus square miles of, of flats fishing around that region. Um, it's isolated. It's in a national Marine park. Um, and part of the fee going there, you, you spend some money toward the NGO that Avalon has created to protect that region and that fishery. And uh, it's a great intro to those species. And I, I've always told clients that if you really want to, go with the salt game first you probably want to go with redfish they're a little friendlier it doesn't require <laughs> well you know sorry i sneezed excuse me 
obviously that that depends on the fishery, right? But um, it, it, again, that comes down to seeing pressure everywhere, even in saltwater areas. But you know, at least with that fish, you know, you don't need to make the bomb casts. You don't need to. It, it doesn't need to be dropped on a dime at all times. And I think the beauty of Cuba is that the pressure around there is fairly low, even though they're running quite a number of trips out there. The, the area is so vast and there's so many fish that you can be the beginner kind of saltwater angler and work on those, those deeper trough bonefish, for example, where, you know, you just kind of throw it out into a school and the guide works with you. You get your strips, strip set down and, and technique down, and then you can kind of graduate each day to more advanced species. Um, but it's plentiful. Um, it's an amazing spot. If anybody would like to join me, I would love to have people along. My, my late December trip is full. I have one spot open early December. I've got a handful of spots open December 9th through the 16th. And November 4th to 11th, I'm trying to fill some numbers there. I've got some people on board already on all of them, but just need to fill some gaps. So, yeah, can't say enough about that. And then actually I have a little freshwater excursion next March 2024 that is full, unfortunately. Can't really hand that out to anybody. But uh, venturing down in the Amazona region of Southeast Colombia. Um, Going to be on the Rio Vicara on the Rio uh, Orinoco with Tucanare Lodge out in the middle of absolutely nowhere off the grid and the indigenous, you know, kind of the indigenous strongholds down there. And uh, focusing on peacock bass, payara, and paku. Um, and a number of other species in those river systems. So that one, that'll be the first time down on that one and, and really looking forward to that adventure. I've been to Columbia before, but I've never been to that region and um, really looking forward to checking that out. And it, it looks, it looks unreal, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's off the grid. That's all I'm going to say. It's, it's out there. So. Well, that's yeah. a winner to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I got those going, and, and then honestly, uh, you know, X Flats. My buddy Jesse Colton down there. Where it's always an open door as well, and uh, pretty well connected down there with him. And and I'm not going to mention it here, but there might be some opportunities down there in February as well. So that's kind of in the works, and I don't want to jump the gun on it. He just had a baby, so it's a pretty involved life for him right now, but we're in, we're in talks for some other options down there. So. Awesome. Yeah. It's funny on the, on the red fishing thing that you mentioned. So I don't have a ton of experience red fishing, but um, the few times I've been, it's been extremely difficult and more like permit fishing than what <laughs> everybody tells me about red fishing. So like my buddy and I, when we were down there last time, He's been like half a dozen times, right, for multi-day trips. Still, I don't think he's caught one on the fly. Um, wow. And he's an experienced, experienced angler, right? Um, travels all over the place. Uh, and so he and I were laughing. He's like, the next person that tells me that red fishing <laughs> is easy and where you should start is, is going to get a nut shot. <laughs> <laughs> For whatever reason, man, those those fish have his number, and, and I, it seems like maybe they have mine too. They just don't eat when I'm around. Where have you been? Where have you been going? Have you been getting unlucky with cold fronts and and you know, obviously 
everything kind of has to come together, right? Like the right temperature, well, yeah. the right light. Like I said, I haven't I haven't done it a lot. Um, the first time I went was in Port Aransas, Texas, and yep. I was just kind of DIY fishing. Uh, but this one afternoon evening in particular, I was just surrounded by big fish, man. And I threw every fly I had in my box and I not, they wouldn't eat anything. Um, I ended up catching a few little ones, uh, like later on in that trip on that trip. Um, and then I went to Georgia and could not get them to eat a fly. Uh, again, just DIY fishing, you know, they wouldn't eat a fly. I caught some on shrimp. Um, and then this past February, we went down to Louisiana and conditions were tough. We had a really bad overcast, windy day. I we saw those photos. Yeah. yeah, we whacked them on crabs. Um, and then we had, you know, a, a pretty good window of lots of big fish up on this flat. And, you know, Josh Lauer and I are doing our damnedest and man, they wouldn't eat a fly. I finally caught one at the at the bell on a fly. Um, but you know, the guides like this happens like once a year where <laughs> it's like this and they won't eat. I'm sorry that it happened when you guys were here, but, uh, yeah, it's just been, uh, so far it's been a kind of a, a funny experience for me with those fish. M mental note. Now I know don't go on a salt trip with Carnot. He's the bad luck charm, man. No, yeah, definitely don't do that. Yeah, don't want you, you don't want to go permit fishing with me. You don't want to go winter steelheading with me. You, and you, apparently, you don't want to go red fishing with me. So, those are all off the list. Um, yeah, no doubt. Well, hey, no doubt. I mean, come come on down to Cuba with us, man. And you know, there's a spot on the boat. Yeah. So let me know. We'll talk. Yeah, one of these days, man. It's tough. It's uh, you know, I might get one trip a year now. Uh, it's uh, it's saltwater fishing is on the back burner, unfortunately. I wish it wasn't. I love it. I but, uh, I had I had my days. My thirties were good. I went a lot of cool places. Did a lot of cool things. And I'm fortunate that I did it then. I uh, I kind of saw when I first started going places in my early twenties, saltwater fishing, and I. I'd see all these uh, retirees out there struggling and I'm like, man, this is not an old man's game. This is a young man's game. I got to go get on it now. And so that was kind of my approach is I just went after it as hard as I could in my, in my twenties and thirties and, and uh, you know, probably with the realization that it wasn't always going to be that way for me. So. And you're a hundred percent correct, man. I see a lot of these older guys going out there. Some of them can still get it done, man. There is no doubt about it, but yeah, it's just requiring balance on front of, on the front of the boat and the rigors of being yeah. elements and it's tough, man. It's, it's a gnarly environment. environment. It yeah. really is. And it requires it's really tough. It really is. And it requires mental strength as much as physical, man. You just got to stay in the zone for eight and a half, nine hours a day. And that's a lot to ask of some people. So, yeah, man, all the magazine covers and all the social media and everything, you know, leads folks to believe that all you got to do is show up and you're going to, you know, 
be holding a 120 pound tarpon. And that's just not, it's not the reality at all. Like it's, it's extremely challenging. Um, and it's, you've got to get lucky. And in addition to, to having the skill set that it requires to, to put the fly in the right spot, to set the hook at the right time, to set the hook properly, to fight the fish. Everything's got a lot of, a lot of chips got to fall your way for saltwater fly fishing to, to, you know, end up with you cradling uh, an incredible specimen. It, there's no doubt. I, you know, it, a lot of that can even be applied as a guide here with the trout game, with increasing pressure and people on the rivers. You know, these fish have gotten more savvy and, you know, clients, people come in and they're always like, ah, oh, how's the fishing? And you always get the common questions. How's the fishing? What are they eating? This and that. And it's like, listen, the fishing is going to be as good as you are with the stick in your hand. And honestly, 90 something percent of the time, those fish are eating a good drift. And if you got a good rower that can maintain the drift with you, and you're able to keep that fly in the water as long as possible on a good drift and, and manage it, then you're increase, you increase your likelihood of success. And particularly when it comes to catching good trout. And uh, I just always try to emphasize that with clients. So like, listen, it's going to be as good as you are. And it's going to require some acumen and going to require some skill sets that we can work on throughout the day. And I really... It's just, that's the way it is these days around here. The days of seeing few boats and floating down river and, and just pitching a single big foamy bug down river and having fish come up and willingly eat all day. Those days are, those are getting tougher around Missoula. So it's, it requires some adaptation, commitment, and uh, yeah, being able to kind of evolve. And um, I think that has to be impressed on clients as well. Yeah, expectation management, man. It's a huge skill set to have as a guide. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know, it's also, um, yeah, it's something that you you kind of develop as an angler over time, unless your your guide or your buddy, your mentor, whoever instills that in you. You know, um, now when I go saltwater fishing, I don't even expect to catch anything. I never expect to catch a steelhead. You know, I, it's not even like, here, here's what I'm going to tie up. Here's what I'm going to fish. I'm going to fish it this way. If it happens, it happens. I'm just going to enjoy the whole scene. It's not about that. It's like, I'm just going to go out to this beautiful place with my friends or by myself or and just enjoy the experience and and um, fish, fish my best and learn something and improve as an angler in this process and if a fish happens upon my fly and feels like eating it and it all works out fantastic bonus exactly well awesome man um well how do uh how do folks get in touch with you let's um yeah send us give us your credentials here best way to reach you if they want to learn more about these really cool off-season trips you're doing or you know try to get into your your guidebook in the future which i know is pretty full yeah, no problem. I, uh, you know, best way to reach me, obviously, you can always shoot me a text or give me a call on, on my phone, uh, 406-370-8029. Uh, email is first initial, J, and then my last name, Brenninstool, B-R-I-N-I-N-S-T-O-O-L at gmail.com. 
And then you could always DM me if you, I don't use Facebook much anymore at all um, outside of using Messenger for friends abroad. Um, but you can find me on Instagram as well and DM me there. Um, <clears throat> and my handle is an old yellow man lyric. I'm a old school reggae fan. So uh, the old, as, as you know, from the boat colors, if people see my boat on the water, they, they, probably understand those that are in the know but uh it's no gimmicks just lyrics it's an old yellow man tune and um yeah you can dm me there and kind of take a look at what i got on there as well and gonna be downloading some more or uploading some more cuba stuff as well to kind of promote some of those trips this coming winter and um those are the best ways to reach out to me and uh as you know, Justin, something I should add to that, just being a guide, if you do contact me, I'd, I'd have to book people here through an outfitter. Um, and uh, But people can contact me direct whenever they want and, and try to get on the calendar. Still some days floating around out there, but definitely the prime time is, is pretty much June is full. July is getting there. And because uh, as I said, I take the end of July off anyway. And my September is about full as well. So if people want to get in some of the prime days, they got to start reaching out soon. All right, man, good enough. Well, winter's back, so get your taxes done. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns. And if you have one to spend, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week. <laughs>